This is Susanna Mitchell from Xanaland.com, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 63 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Before we get into this week's guest, I'd like to thank those of you who stopped by my author table at the Disneyana show in July. It was great to meet you, so thank you so much for coming out. In the previous set of episodes, I interviewed Adam Berger, author of Every Guest is a Hero. During it, he mentioned working with Colette Picot and her company, It Ain't Shakespeare. Well, beginning with this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing her. Colette has an extensive background in the theme parks, from the hoop dee doo Review to the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular to the Adventurers Club and beyond. Now she's got an even more extensive background and current work in show writing for Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, and several others. In this episode, Colette talks about how she got started working for Disney in the hoop dee doo Review at Fort Wilderness a description of the Hoop-Dee-Doo Review and her roles in it, going from that show to the Indiana Jones stunt show, what it was like jumping off the building for the first time in the training for the show, the differences for her as a performer between the two shows, the only mishap she had with the Indiana Jones stunt show, how that show gave her her first opportunity in show writing, how and why she moved from Marion to Sarah Connors at Universal Studios Florida, the intense stunt work she had to do in that role for the Terminator 2 3D show, her stint in the Adventurers Club back at Walt Disney World, and how devoted the fans of that show were, what she loved most about what she did at Walt Disney World, if she could have any job working for Disney, what it would be and why, the first official show writing projects she did, how she connected with Adam, it was a very interesting series of events, and some of the other things she does besides show writing like casting, directing, and voice work. Now, I do want to preface this interview by letting you know that due to some technical issues on my end, we ended up having to do the interview via her cell phone, so the audio quality is less than I would like it to be. I've done as much as I can with it, though, and I hope it doesn't detract from your enjoyment of this fascinating conversation. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. 
If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make make it a a Mickey Mickey day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Here on Stories of the Magic, I really enjoy getting to talk to people who have different experiences with Disney that we haven't covered before. And today's guest certainly fits that bill. Colette Picot was among the early performers at Walt Disney World's Hoop-Dee-Doo Review. She went on to be the original Marion stuntwoman when the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular opened at Disney MGM Studios in 1989 and was also the original Sarah Connor stuntwoman for Universal Studios Florida's Terminator 2 3D attraction. Now, with over 30 years of experience in the theme park, entertainment, and television industries, Colette is one of the preeminent independent attraction show writers in the industry. She has made a name for herself as a creative visionary with a distinctive flair for fresh and exciting concepts. Her innovative, award-winning ideas have reached from Florida to California, from Brussels to Bangkok, and across the seas on the ships of the Disney Cruise Line. As president and creative director of It Ain't Shakespeare, Inc., which you may remember being mentioned in my interview with Adam Berger recently, she leads and contributes to the creative writing for projects worldwide. Recent work has included Antarctica, Empire of the Penguin at SeaWorld Orlando, and several major attractions for Universal Creative that are still in development. On top of all of this, Colette has been a writer on television series, including writing Emmy Award-winning episodes of Jack Hanna's Animal Adventure and Shamu TV, the award-winning environmental education series from the SeaWorld and Busch Gardens Worlds of Discovery. She was also head writer for Walt Disney's Secrets of Animal Kingdom television show. Colette, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Great to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's start with your time actually working for Disney. How did you get started there? Well, um, for most of my life, I was a professional actress, singer, and dancer. And my ex-husband and I had been working in theater, traveling around the country. And we were in New York at the time, and we decided we wanted to have a family. And we thought that Florida would be a great place to do that. So a friend of mine actually got us an audition at Walt Disney World. We traveled down, and uh, we got hired. We were part-time at first, uh, and we both got hired at the Hoochie Do Review. I played Flora and Claire. I was eventually hired full-time as Claire, and that's really how it all began. It was really fantastic to get hired right off the bat. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, I didn't get to see the early Hoop-Dee-Doo Review shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I haven't actually made it over to Fort Wilderness and seen the whole show, though I've tried to see some online. But I can't find anything before about 2011. So... In case I'm not the only one and somebody listening also is in the same boat that I am, could you tell me a little bit about the hoop dee doo review? Well, um, the show really hasn't changed all that much over the years. It's a wild, blast, musical comedy show. There is a script, and there are six different characters, three men and three women. It's really a lot of fun. It's very funny. There's lots of singing and dancing and audience participation, and it's a dinner show. It takes place in um, wilderness campgrounds. And it's really, it's just a really fun show for the guests and for the performers. The performers do, I don't know if they still do, but at the time that I was doing the show, we did three shows a night, back to back. It was like the hardest cardio workout you can imagine. But it still, (laughs) it was really, it was so much fun. I had a blast doing it. Uh, Do you have any favorite parts of the show that 
that your character or characters did in it? Well, I, Laura is the aunt of the role, and I really enjoyed playing that part, but I really especially love playing the character of Claire, who is the dumb blonde character. And one of the key characteristics of Claire is that she has this really infectious giggle. And uh, I think that was one of my favorite parts of the show, is, is playing Claire and doing that giggle. I'm sure somebody listening is thinking, oh, ask her to do the giggle. So can you still do the giggle? Let me see. Um, I'll give it a try. <laughs> how's that? That was great. I like that. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so how long did you do the Hoop Dee Review show? On and off, I did the Hoop Dee Review show, and I'm just kind of guessing here, for about 12 years. Um, even when I wasn't doing full-time, I was a sub for all of those years for the Hoopty Doo Review. So, you know, if somebody called me sick, they would call, they'd go down the list and call everybody who knew the show to come in and fill in that night. And I remember um, it was probably about 12 years ago I got a call to play Claire, and it had probably been five years, and, and the giggle broke up, and it was because I just thought it was so funny that anyone would think that I was still okay to do the show. <laughs> it's been so long. Right. So were you still doing the show some when you, I'm guessing, auditioned for the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular? Oh, yes. I did. I was actually still doing the Hoopty Review as a sub um, when I began my writing career and for a number of years after that. Uh, but, yes, what happened with the Indiana Jones Stunt Show was that they were just opening up MGM Studios at the time, and uh, they gathered the performers mostly from in-house initially. So they had a huge audition. Everybody who worked at Disney World auditioned for in this mass audition. And um, they chose dancers primarily to do the Indiana Jones stunt show. Uh, there were six original Marians and uh, four of us, well, five of us were actually dancers um, who were in other places. There were two from Diamond Horseshoe and three of us were from the Review. So did, did they train you to be stunt yeah. people? You started with the dance background and I guess that gave you the body control that they needed and then they trained you to be stunt people? Yeah, we had the strength and the stamina and the flexibility. We spent four months in a parking lot in the backstage area of Walt Disney World training to do the show, and there were a number of guys who had been in the TV review as well in the Indiana Jones stunt show. Um, one of the Indians, I think he still does it, Kevin Broussard, still does Indiana Jones. Um, and he started when I did. <laughs> and he was also did the, the TV review as well. So... We learned from a guy named Glenn Randall, who was the second unit director for actually Indiana, the second Indiana Jones film, and he trained us to do the stunts, and he choreographed all the stunts for the show. It was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it sounds like it. it. It really was. I have seen the stunt show a few times, having been there, and remembering the the role that Marion played in that. What was it like? Uh, basically jumping off that building the first time in your training? Well, I have to admit, I think, uh, in fact, Glenn, Glenn Randall actually said to me, you're the most courageous one of all of these girls because you're the one who's scared to death. <laughs> and you're still doing it. It was pretty terrifying. I had, had a horrible fear of heights at the time. I remember my husband at the time said to me, why are you doing this? You're afraid of heights. But... You know, it was really a great experience for me. I got over my fear of heights, and it made me a stronger person. So it was almost like going to one of those boot camps that people go to for enlightenment and empowerment. Did you get over your fear of heights then by just jumping off that building a bunch of times, and that's what did it? 
Yeah, the way I did it was, there was another girl who was a little scared too, so well, we would climb up that ladder, this, this way pull ladder, um, and at first we just climbed up there and we laid on the top of the building. And then we would go up there and sit on the top of the building. And we finally got this little room laid at the stand. And we just did it in, in little baby steps. And finally, you know, one day we jumped off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was quite, it was a wonderful experience. I had so much fun doing that show. It was wonderful. And boy, we were all in great shape. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of compare, contrast, talk, talk about what it was, the differences, I guess, between starting at hoop de and doing that role and Indiana Jones show and being Marion. Well, doing hoop de really, that was sort of in my wheelhouse because I had been with this music performer my entire life. I started performing when I was six years old. And that just felt like I was home. It was a lot of fun and great energy. Uh, when I started doing the Indiana Jones Sun show, that was really kind of out of my comfort zone. I'd never played anybody like a heroine type of character who was strong and almost had masculine characteristics in a way. Um, because the Marians have to punch stunt guys. and You know, there, there's a lot of really strong physical activity that you have to engage in. And um, it was really, I actually liked it even more because I felt so strong, so empowered, and I felt like, you know, I felt like if somebody came up to me in the dark alley, I could beat them up. Of course, I probably would punch at them like I had been trained to, which is to them. But right. <laughs> it was just a great experience. It was such an adrenaline rush doing that show. And people just went crazy for it. After the show, people would line up down at the bottom of the, the amphitheater. And they were just so excited to talk to us and shake our hands and get our autograph. I'm sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great show. And the it's the uh, the performers and you know how into it and how physical and everything it is that makes it so different from any other show at Walt Disney World. And you really have to, I mean, of course you do it. And in any show, you have to pour yourself 100% into it. But that show, even more so, because it's just so physically demanding. Yeah, and from what I know of stunt work, which is not a lot, but from what I know, you can't do something halfway when you're doing a stunt. You have to completely commit to that, or it's not going to work. Right, and and also you have to be constantly aware of safety issues, because people get hurt if, if you're not careful. Sure. Did you ever have any mishaps or anything when you were doing it? The only thing that happened to me was during the training period, there's a sway pull device. It's like, it's a pull that's standing up when Marion and Indy run to it, and they hold on to it, step onto a little tiny platform, and the, and the pole starts vertical and ends up horizontal on the next building, and then you get up and run up a ladder. Um, when they were first using the sway pole, it wasn't mechanized. It has a hydraulic system now in the show, but when we were training on it, it was just a mock-up scaffolding uh, set, and they were using the sway pole, they were using a rope to hold us on the sway pole, and then, then the technician would let go of the rope, and the, the sway pole would fall, and we'd jump off of it. Nothing against women, because I am one, but they decided to let one of the women do the sway pole one day, and I was on it, and another guy who happened to weigh 250 pounds, so that was 350 pounds. And she didn't have the strength to hold us, so she just let go, and we fell. He almost rolled off the top of the building, but instead, he fell on top of me, so I had a 50-pound pole and a 250-pound man on top of me. So I was, I was kind of bruised up, but I, I survived. <laughs> wow. 
Now, another thing I remember about the show, and I assume it's probably been this way from the beginning, is they get the volunteers from the audience, and one of them isn't really a volunteer, but he's a member of the stunt crew. Uh, And he's the one, if I remember correctly, that Marion basically beats up about Mm -hmm. two-thirds of the way or so through the show. (laughs) Did you ever get any negative reaction from that when you know people think that there's this guest that you're just punching and knocking over and all this kind of thing? No, not really. There were always a lot of gas, you know, but mm-hmm. never anything negative. I think because I'm very small, I'm only five foot one and a half. I don't think anybody ever took seriously that I was hurting anyone. You know? <laughs> I guess you do have that in your favor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How gratifying was it the first time you actually got to do that in front of this live audience of guests and you got that reaction that that segment had been set up to evoke? Oh, it was awesome. It was so great to create that illusion that this little teeny tiny woman was beating up this great big guy. (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful. You know, you get that adrenaline rush. It's really exciting. Right. You know, um, I know you're not asking this question, but... um, one of the really interesting stories about the Indiana Jones Sun show and my participation in it is that that's how I got started in my writing career, was through the Indiana Jones Sun show. When we were in rehearsal for the show, at that particular time, the Imagineers were so overburdened. They were working on Animal Kingdom, they were working on Pleasure Island, and they were also working on MGM Studios. There was just more enough writers to go around. Partway through the rehearsal process, the producers came to us, the performers, and said, we still don't have a pre-show. There's not even been a concept developed for the pre-show. If any of you can think of a really cool idea for a pre-show, you, you know, we want you to feel free to present it to us. And we might actually use it. That's how desperate they were. <laughs> wow. So my husband and I, that night, um, we went out to Epcot, and we were just, you know, having fun. And I said, you know what? I have a really great idea. I want to do this. And he said, you're crazy. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just giving somebody to do this. So... I came up with this concept, and he helped me write it. It was actually the original pre-show for the Indiana Jones Sun Show. It was only performed for six weeks, so I don't want you to misunderstand. The one that you see now is not the one that I came up with. Okay. We rehearsed it. The next week, we performed it for the producers and the director. They loved it. They helped us refine it just a little bit, and three of the Marion and three of the director characters, and my ex-husband was one of those, we did the pre-show that I came up with for six weeks during uh, the soft opening. It's called Bubbles and Bernie. And the premise was that it was um, a dumb blind actress and her easy manager come in and they, they were supposed to bring the extras for the shoot, but they got lost along the way because she was an airhead. And so they are here to cast new extras in the audience. And that's what we did. And people absolutely loved it. They went crazy for it. People would come back and just watch that pre-show. And the premise, the idea for it initially was that it was supposed to distract the audience from the ball and all of the set and everything. So it was supposed to be incongruous. So we did it for six weeks. We had these really cute costumes. The girls were in red costumes and black polka dots with cute little hats and blonde wigs. And it was a huge success. It was very funny. George Lucas came to see the opening performance of the show. And afterwards he said, I love the show. I thought it was but I hated that pre-show. It was totally incongruous. <laughs> <laughs> so they got rid of the show, but because of that, I started getting invited to writer's meetings. 
that's fantastic. A little bit of being in the right place at the right time. And it certainly sounds like some of the confidence that you'd built up from training for the show maybe spilled over into some other areas since you decided to take a run at that opportunity there. Yeah, and I think this, you know, this is a good lesson for a lot of people. If the opportunity presents itself to you, go for it. You, you have nothing to lose and lots to gain. Yeah. I mean, if that hadn't worked out at the time, the worst that could have happened is they would have said, no, we don't really like the idea, and you're still doing the things that you were doing at the time. So, like you say, you had nothing to lose there. So it was yeah. definitely worth a shot. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was so much fun. We had so much fun doing that show. Seeing it, it looks like a really fun show. It sounds like a pretty fun pre-show, too. You know, I love stunt people and the work that they do and everything like that. So getting to see that particular show uh, has always been one of the highlights when I've gone to now Disney's Hollywood Studios at the time before mm-hmm. I started going you know, MGM Studios. And just being able to see the people do that and uh, you know, kind of learn a little bit about it, mostly just watch stunt performers live do those things Mm -hmm. is just amazing now how did you get from walt disney world stunt show to then going to universal studios florida and being the original sarah connor stunt woman for that terminator 2 3d show by the way that's a show i have not seen so i'm not familiar with it particularly well i had a child (laughs) So I wasn't doing stunt shows anymore for a while. Then I was working at the um, Adventures Club for about a year. I played, uh, oh my gosh, why did the name just slip my mind? Um, oh my gosh, Samantha Sterling. I played Samantha Sterling at the Adventures Club. And I just couldn't handle the late nights at the Adventures Club with a young child. It was just a little too difficult for me. So when there was an audition for the, in, for the Terminator 2 stunt show, I thought, well, I've done stunts. I'll go audition for that one. And it was during the daytime, so it was perfect for me. Um, yeah. And I got cast. That was a little bit different. That show was a little bit different than uh, the Indiana Jones stunt show. We had to repel them, and we also used a semi-automatic weapon with blanks in it, so we had to have weapons training. And that was not a speaking role. It was a lip-speaking role. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because they wanted her real voice, so we were listening to her real voice. Okay. Linda Hamilton's real voice. Right. How challenging was that, especially at first? The listening was fine. It was the it was the repelling. We um, again with my I had still had a little bit of a fear of heights, and we had uh, we were forty over forty feet in the air. It had climbed many many flights of stairs, and then there was a big hole in the ground with a railing around it, and you had to climb over the over the railing and hook into your harness and hang there for ten minutes waiting for your cue. And the only thing that was holding you there was your hand holding the rope, which was across your back. And that's the only thing that's holding you in place. And then on the queue, we repelled straight down. It was, like, fast, like, as fast as you could go. You repelled straight down, landed on your feet, whipped out the, the rope out of your harness, and pulled up the semi-automatic weapon and started firing. It was, it was Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And you did it ten times a day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think it's probably a good thing that you got out of stunt work because the next step must have been parachuting or something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've got this great idea for a new skydiving show, and you're up. Go for it. No, I don't think I do that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so was that the Sarah Connor role basically was that segment or did it was there more parts of it through the show and that was just like the introduction of the character into the show? I think really wasn't much to it. We did that, ran around the theater, one more speaking, and then at the very end, uh, we got into an elevator that came up out of the floor onto the stage and did a very short scene with the, the young man who played our son, and that was it. Okay. Well, that sounds like enough. <laughs> yeah. The hardest part of the show was running up the stairs to get in place for the next show. <laughs> Right. Yeah, 10 times a day. That means the shows have to have been, what, at least every 45 minutes or so, maybe? Yeah, and, and it was five flights of stairs. Right. And you had to run to make it online. Wow. And I'll bet yeah. nobody watching that show, or at least most people watching that show, never crossed their mind what you had to do to get ready for the next one. <laughs> I know. It was, it was very challenging. Let's put it that way. We were all in better shape than the Marians were. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the Marians didn't have to climb those flights of stairs that fast, I expect. No, they didn't. <laughs> and you mentioned working for that year in the Adventurers Club. and I can certainly understand a problem with late nights there, uh, but I know that the Adventurers Club, and up until it closed, and actually even now, even though it's closed, just had a huge uh, fan following. Yes. There were some people who really attracted the groupies. I was not one of the, uh, the people who had like the, the crazy groupies, but... We all had groupies. Um, there were people who came there. I swear they came every single night. Every time that I was there, these same people, group of people were there, and they were completely devoted to that show. And I guess they were retired and they didn't have anything else to do, but they loved it. They loved it passionately. One of the girls um, who was in the show that who was very popular, um, played one of the maids. She got married to one of the other guys in, in the cast, and they got married in California. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly how many people. I'm guessing about 20 people who were guests flew out to their wedding. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's devotion and there's devotion. I, I know. Those are Uber fans. <laughs> right. During the year that you were able to do it, uh, mm -hmm. how much fun was that show? That was really, that was the perfect theme park show for me um, because there wasn't as much repetition Really, one of the, for me, one of the most challenging things about being a theme park performer is keeping it fresh through all of that repetition. Because depending on the show, you're doing it multiple times per day, five days a week, and it's really hard to keep fresh. And I really admire those performers who are able to keep it fresh day after day, year after year. I think that's an incredible gift that those people that can do that. I found it a little more challenging than some people, which is why the Adventures Club was so great for me, because a lot of that was improvisation. So every night was different, and that was really exciting and a lot of fun. Yeah. So imagine you wouldn't have wanted to be a Jungle Cruise skipper then. No. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing every seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of room for variation in there. But some people are so good at that, and it's, it's really a wonderful skill. It is, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it's fairly rare. So when there are people that can do it, I really admire and respect those people like you do. Yeah. How different was it for you to have an audience that, like we were saying, was that devoted, even if you didn't necessarily have the same kind of semi-rabid groupies that some of the others did, there was still that level of devotion to the show. What was that like? It was actually really great. It was wonderful to have people who were so into it and just just so excited about every single night and, and everything we did and such fans that they thought we were hilarious no matter what we did. And that was really fantastic. It was 
pay for your ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Did you have any favorite parts of what you did? Or even though a lot of it was improv, I'm sure sometimes there were some bits that kind of got repeated because they worked really well in that part of the show or something. Does anything stand out to you as something that you really enjoyed that was part of the show itself? Well, actually, to be clear, it wasn't all improv. We we had certain sets that we did that were scripted. Mm-hmm. We could improv within the within the scripting. We could, we could play with it as much as we wanted to, and, but we kind of kept that same structure that was scripted. The rest of the time, we it was, it was sort of a Part of the time you were improv and part of the time you were doing an actual show with a lot of freedom. So let me think, what was my favorite part? I don't know, it was so much fun. Um, we, there was a show that my character did in the library that was sort of my show. Um, we all had kind of our own spotlight shows that we did alone. And um, I think that was, that was a lot of fun for me. I really enjoyed that one. I played an adventurer character. So um, after having done... Mary Indiana Jones, that was kind of a natural fit for me. And it was it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. You had to have a lot of hook props. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else that you did in the theme park or theme park environment uh, as a performer? Yes. I did a very short stint at Monster Sound Show and Superstar Television. And I also did one month tweeting doing and doing Marion and the Indiana Jones Sun show, they had to kind of fill out my time. There was a break there. And um, they put me in Mickey Starland. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was the only fake character. I was the only fake person. And I was like this cute little girl, and I was making a cake with Mickey and Donald and Pluto. And, and that show, I think, I can't remember how many times you did it, but it was, it was over and over and over and over and over again. I did it for a month, and it felt like I'd been doing it for a year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a cute little show. It was adorable. Right. Being back there in what became Mickey's Toontown Fair and now mm-hmm. is Storybook Circus, that environment just screams cute. <laughs> yeah. I still remember the song word for word because I did it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you know, it's funny about that. We we joke, uh, all my all the people who've done the TV review, we joke that, you know, we're going to be in the nursing home doing, doing the song for the TV and we'll still remember all the choreography and all the words. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to go, oh, those poor senile people. They think it's the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> what was the name of that song? It was Happy Birthday. It was a happy birthday. It's Mickey's birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that would stick too, especially yeah. doing it that many times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, of all of your time, it sounds like you did several things throughout Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. Is there one that you loved most, or a part of one, like a specific part of one of those roles that was just the best? I think, you know, punching out the stuntman was really the fun, really the most fun. I love that. Oh, I also love the the part of Indiana Jones where we got, uh, we were in the truck and we came screaming around the corner and then the, the truck kicks over and we come out of this smoke like we're the hero and uh, we just survived this horrible truck crash and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that part of the show. Uh, if it doesn't give away too much behind the scenes or technical, how did you guys do that? Like, is there a, just a secure, protected spot in the truck? or? Yeah, it, it was really easy. <laughs> we're, just, we're there in the truck, and, and, and it looks like it's to be 
know, we're going to turn it on. And you just get out and you come through, but it looks really awesome. And we're just like, oh my gosh, how did they survive? Okay, yeah, I, we won't reveal any more because I'm sure okay. that there's a little bit more detail, but yeah, that that's enough to give us the idea. And yeah. it look it, like you're, you said it looks really cool. It's yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Now, sticking to well, kind of sticking to. I guess you could almost call this a transition between subjects because uh, I want to go on here in a little bit and talk about the show writing work that mm-hmm. you have done but before that if you could have any job working for the walt disney company it doesn't even have to be a job that really exists you can invent one for this as long as it's not like emperor (laughs) any job working for the walt disney company what would it be and why actually it would be an imagineer in glendale and the reason glendale is because there are imagineers here in florida and they do amazing things but it's in the Imagineers in Glendale who get to do the really special projects. And they're the ones who create, really create the magic. They have seemingly unlimited resources to bring those dreams to life. And I think that would be an incredible experience. Definitely. Particular discipline within Imagineering? Would you want to do it as a show writer in Imagineering or some other one? I love being a show writer. I, I, I would do that. Okay. Yeah. Good. And I, that's then a perfect transition then. You told me your first taste of show writing when you were doing the, you know, the pre-show for indie, but then you got invited to story meetings, brainstorming sessions, that kind of thing. What was the next thing or the first official, whichever way you want to go with it, uh, show writing thing that you did? It was doing some brainstorming for the original shows um, on the Disney Magic. Okay. And that was very exciting. I had to pinch myself. I couldn't believe I was in those meetings. <laughs> and I also got to work uh, on a, a special event for Kodak that had sort of a James Bond theme. That was really a lot of fun, too. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so for the shows on the Disney Magic, were the shows that you were in the brainstorming sessions on and part of that brainstorming, are those the shows that ended up on the, the ship? Because I know a lot of times in Imagineering and in show writing, concepts get thrown around and written up and things, and then nothing ever happens with them, or at least not right away. Yeah. Um, I was involved in Ghost Ship. I was not the show writer for that. I just was involved in the brainstorming sessions for that. So that did end up on the ship. And I was a little bit involved in the City Dream show. But that was, that was it. The other shows we talked about, we did a lot of brainstorming, we did the story development, but those went by the wayside, like you said. Okay. Well, I love the Disney Dream Show. So yeah. thank you for your participation in that one. <laughs> well, it was fairly minimal, I have to say, but, but yes, I was involved somewhat in that. Okay. What was the first thing you did as a, quote, official show writer, besides the Indiana thing, but after that, like you know, beyond the, being in the brainstorming sessions, but actually being the or one of the show writers for? That was the Kodak event. It was a five-day event. Like I said, it has James Bond theme, and there were other elements to it as well. Each each day, there was something in the daytime and something at night for the employees of Kodak. And so there was an entertainment element, actually 10 entertainment elements, and I was showing it for that. Okay. Was that done on Walt Disney World property, or was that somewhere else? No, that was done on Walt Disney World property. It was all a Disney Events Productions group who did that. Okay, yeah, I remember Adam telling me about some of the work that he did for that. Yes. So is that how you connected with Adam? No, actually, the way I connected with Adam was after I did 
did two things with um, Disney. I wanted to do more show writing. So I cold called uh, a number of different theme park companies like Paramount Parks and Universal Studios. And I don't know if it was a time period or what, but when I called Paramount Parks, they were in frantic need of a writer for, um, what was it, Titanic the movie. They were going to do like this mobile exhibit. And the writer had flaked out on them. It was Friday, and they did something on Monday. So I had only one weekend to write this entire thing, which was really quite daunting. It was a lot of work. They, they actually, for some reason, gave me the job. <laughs> they were desperate. And I did not sleep for the entire weekend. I turned it into them, and they were so thrilled that they continued to hire me for years after that. That's impressive. It was pretty cool. It was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I used that to sort of parlay myself into um, Universal Studios. They were looking for people to help with I was an adventure. They were looking for writers. And they called Adam, who was one of them. And because I had contacted them, included me. And they brought us in, and another writer, I can't remember his name. And um, we worked with Jason Sorrell, who went on to be uh, a lead Imagineer at, uh, at Walt Disney World. He was the head writer at Universal at the time. Uh, that's how I met Adam, and we got to be good friends. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So is this about the time that you started It Ain't Shakespeare? Yeah. Got it. Now, when I talked to Adam, he talked about what he does as a show writer. And I know that's part of what you do as well, but from what I understand, it's not all of it. I know that you also do like you know director, creative consultant, talent director, lyricist, and that's kind of all part of what you do in It Ain't Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Is show writing the main thing that you do still, and are those kind of would they be considered pieces of the show writing? Show writing is the majority of the work that I do, and I really do love it. I love envisioning the stories and bringing them to life, but I've been lucky enough to work in a variety of capacities, and, and often it's because I'm just fearless enough to say yes when someone asks me if I can do something. Maybe that's the stunt training again. <laughs> but, right. You know, I've been in the entertainment industry for so long, it's just instinctual for me to say, yeah, sure, I can do that. And you're an actor, someone said, can you ride a bike? You say, yeah, I can ride a bike, and then you go out and learn how to ride a bike before you went to the audition or did the show. So that's sort of part of my DNA. So as a creative consultant, I participate in brainstorming sessions for anything from entire theme parks to live stage shows to attractions and dreaming up the stories and characters that the audiences and guests will ultimately enjoy. And then I've also filled the role of show director. Sometimes they'll say, you know, we want you to write the show. We also need a show director. Would you like to be a show director? And yeah, sure, why not? So... I worked with the Dolphin Trainers at Blue Horizons, which is a show that I also worked on as a writer. This was after the show had been put up. The trainers, they weren't acting the role as much as the management would like. So I went in actually with the son, who is a, he's a fight director, so I guess it's in his DNA, too. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, I went in with my son. He worked with the men. I worked with the women. And we, we worked with them on their acting, basically, so... I feel the sort of a directing capacity there. Quite often I cast and hire the talent for the voiceovers that I write. So for uh, Antarctica, for example, I cast all the voiceover talent and I directed them in the studio session. And also, you know, sometimes I, I write the script, I'm intimately familiar with what the writer had in mind since I'm the writer. Right. Sometimes I even do the voiceovers myself since I was an actress. For Again, for Antarctica, they wanted a female voice for the operations. Uh, instruction. 
So instead of saying, oh, Colette, this, is, this one's Colette, we, we used my voice and several other women. We gave all the voices numbers, and we sent them to management and had them choose which one they liked the best. They just happened to choose mine. They didn't know it was me. And so if you go to Antarctica, you'll hear my voice say, please with me, seated, and that type of thing. Okay. Since I have so much musical training, I often work with sound designs on the soundtracks and shows and attractions. And I also write song lyrics. Um, I wrote the song lyrics for Tonga, which is a show at Bush Gardens a number of years ago that's been closed. I, was, I wrote the lyrics for the theme song for Turtle Trek and also the theme song for Antarctica. Wow. Back when you were in your acting music days before you even started in Hoop-de-Doo, did you have any idea that you would like to parlay those skills into something else or something bigger? Like, ended up happening as you went into show writing and you're using all of that stuff? No. In fact, if you went back to the old me and told her that she'd be doing what I'm doing right now. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Colette Picot for being my guest, and to you for listening. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever, and you want to tell me about it and tell people why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. In any of those cases, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. As I mentioned in the last couple of episodes, My headphones and microphone were pretty low quality, and they were getting worse. Well, I went ahead and purchased the replacement, and even though you probably couldn't tell with this interview, it really has made a big difference. I've received some donations toward covering that expense, but I'm still only about $20 short. It would really mean a lot to me if you would help me to cover that remaining expense. So if you enjoy the show and you can help me out a little bit, I'd greatly appreciate a donation of any size. You know, just two people doing $10 or four people doing $5 would cover it. You can either click the donate button in the right sidebar on the storiesofthemagic.com website or just go to PayPal and send it to podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you like the show and can rate it. Certainly, I hope for five or even four-star ratings, but really, I'd appreciate it if you would rate it and review it with whatever you honestly feel is what it deserves. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic. Tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this show, audible.com. 
Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like In the Shadow of the Matterhorn by past guest David Smith, Walt Disney, The Mouse That Roared by Jeff Lindbergh, and of course my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. By the way, all three of these were read by Tales from the Mouse House podcast co-host Al Kessel. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com audible for your free audiobook. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, and this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.